0: Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Nicholas Gordon, host of the Asian Review of Books podcast done in collaboration with the New Books Network. In this podcast, we interview fiction and non-fiction authors working in, around, and about the Asia-Pacific region. We are just over a year from when Global News first reported a new type of pneumonia emerging in the Chinese city of Wuhan. A lockdown of the city, on January 23, 2020, was the first indication that these stories were more serious than originally thought. All of us know what happens next. COVID-19 spreads from China to other countries in Asia, then to Europe, then to North America, then worldwide. To slow the spread, countries frantically announce travel restrictions on those coming from places affected by COVID-19. A massive shift away from the increasingly open borders seen in the past two decades. One traveler caught up in these new restrictions was Ethan Lowe, author of Field Notes from a Pandemic A Journey Through a World Suspended. Ethan arrives in China in early 2020 to visit his family, the first leg of a trip around the world. On each leg of his journey, he sees how the world is transformed by this global pandemic. The book named among the cbc's best canadian nonfiction books of 2020 is one half travelogue one half astute commentary in and about a changed world ethan lowe is a former reuters reporter and has served as a visiting journalist at the university of british columbia his writing has appeared in the guardian the globe and mail mclean's the south china morning post the walrus and the washington post his next book is once a bitcoin miner scandal and turmoil in the cryptocurrency wild west today Ethan and I talk about his journey around the world and how COVID-19 made a routine trip exceptionally complicated. We'll talk about how we saw the world change in real time and which of these changes may end up sticking around. So, Ethan, thanks for joining me today. Perhaps it's best to start by um, asking you to trace your journey around the world. What places did you visit
1: and when? Mm Mm-hmm so I I started by going to China so that was to see my my grandfather who hadn't been in good health and then I was in Singapore and after that Germany before going back to Toronto where I was and the the the, the trip was planned about half a year before uh, the, the first whispers of the pandemic and uh, before the pandemic disrupted many things, there were actually a lot more stops within the trip. I was supposed to be in Hong Kong as well, and I didn't make it that, and uh, a couple of other places in Europe that I didn't get to go as well.
0: Um, so perhaps let's, let's start with, with China. You were there right at the beginning of the outbreak. Um, how did Chinese people and Chinese society, how did they react as the seriousness of the coronavirus became
1: more clear? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. So the the book begins right in the thick of it and I think this was back when the rest of the world was still normal. I um when I was in Toronto, uh the, the day before I left, I was literally at a birthday party, but when I landed in China, I saw everyone in masks and um and what what really to me uh, illustrated the seriousness was that when I was seeing my grandfather, um I was literally kicked out of the the seniors' residence while I was there, and and it's it's a scene that I can I can never forget because I think while my grandfather has quite severe dementia, I I think there's a baser part of the brain that's that's more primal and resilient and I'm sure he could feel I'm I'm sure he had some idea of what's going on he could feel the the tension in people's voices the heaviness of their footsteps and you know the the cold emptiness of of the residence because. When I was, you know, I was holding his hand when we were being ejected, and you know, as, as I was letting go, he was just holding on with, with all the strength that he could muster.
0: So, so, what's China then like during during these early during this this early stage of the pandemic? I think you talk about um, wandering empty streets in, in Beijing. Um, what's how is Chinese? How are Chinese people? How is Chinese society reacting during this time? Mhm. So uh,
1: I I I arrived at a at a very I, I guess uh, unfortunate. I guess the the virus arrived at a very unfortunate time for China. This was uh during the the beginning of the Chinese New Year. That is peak travel season for China and um you know you're, you're supposed to gather with family and everything and I think that is a big part that, that was disrupted by the pandemic and I've been to Beijing many times. And uh, one thing that that really stuck out to me was that when I was riding the subway one day, there was just nobody on it. And it was just a little after rush hour. And um, I can say unequivocally, before the pandemic, I have never been able to get a seat on the Beijing subway, not even once. That is one of the most crowded places on earth, I think. And uh the, the entire downtown the entire subway was just eerily empty.
0: Yeah, I I can I can tell you from my own
1: personal experience
0: being in Hong Kong. it was similar during the early days of the pandemic here too where suddenly all these all these crowded spaces suddenly emptied out. Um whether it was public transport or restaurants or public spaces. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I can, I can definitely imagine I've uh I've been to Hong Kong once, and it's uh, it's definitely a uh, um, always a very crowded place.
0: But 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 then after after China, you then go to Singapore. Um, was that was was travel still easy at that at that point in the pandemic?
1: Y- y- well, y- y- yes and no. So that was that was the beginning of February, and I I, I think the the at least the. the the, the world outside uh, the, the China bubble, it still wasn't taking this that seriously. And uh, travel was restricted to to people holding Chinese passports. And there were quite a few travel restrictions uh, specific to China, but not so much for everyone else. You didn't even have to wear a mask on the plane. and uh, But I, I was not able to go to Hong Kong. I, uh, in the book, I write that I was supposed to go there, but uh, the day before I left the Hong Kong announced quarantine measures for for everyone arriving from the mainland. And they hadn't taken effect yet, but all the flights were canceled. And, and there was just absolute pandemonium at the airport uh, because I, I only found out my flight was canceled when I was at the airport and I had a two leg journey. So, so the, the first flight was to some other city in China and then to Hong Kong. If, if I found out that the flight was cancelled uh, after I made the first leg, I I could have just very well been stuck in some random Chinese city there about which I don't know. Um, so, and I think lots of other people had these sort of travel disruptions. There was just chaos at the at the Air China counter.
0: Yes, I I remember personally. I I was also traveling during this time, and I was. Checking my phone every single day, saying if anything gets announced that they're closing, if th- that they're closing flights are closing the airport. I am on a bus to the airport to get back to Hong Kong right away. Um, but you do get to Singapore, um, and so that so you're going from a place where they were where the where people were obviously reacting to the pandemic to a place to a place where they where they weren't. What was that experience like going from making that 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 shift?
1: Well, well, definitely, it's a it's a great relief, um, and Singapore at the time, at least, uh, it, it was a, it was a perfectly normal place. Um, the the government was actually telling people not to wear masks, um, but I I feel very sad that very quickly it transformed and it, it happened mostly after I left. But now um, in Singapore, you you. You you legally have to wear a mask if you are in public, and uh, the the trade off of that is that they because everyone is wearing a mask they they don't have lockdowns. But uh, yeah, you you, I, you can definitely see uh, at least uh, for me from a distance how uh, a place that was normal to me transformed, uh, kind of buckling under the weight of the pandemic.
0: I I, I guess a quick a quick comment on 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 how Singaporeans reacted. Did you see, or did you see any differences of how different people in Singapore reacted? I guess I'm basically asking, Did you see, where did did local Singaporeans react differently from expats or people who were there
1: for a, for just a short period of time? Hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a good question. I I I don't think so. I mm. I, I think at at the time, uh, yeah, people's reactions they were. I, I guess the difference to me isn't uh, lo- local and uh, and foreign, but uh, there there seems to be a gender gap in this. The people who took it more seriously, uh, they, they were all women.
0: I guess I guess do you have any do you have any theories as to why that might be? I think I think you don't get into this in the book, and maybe 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 be wrong to speculate too much. But I guess, which if 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 I did ask you to speculate, what 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 might you say your reason was?
1: hmm Yeah, this is probably coming from a totally uneducated point of view, but I, I did read somewhere, statistically, women see the doctor four times as much as men. And uh maybe they just care more about their health. And you know, yeah, maybe we men just don't care. And we think we can tough it out or something. Um yeah.
0: but but I do wanna I do wanna I, I do have one more question about your time in Asia before we shift maybe to to your trip to your travels to Europe. Um how do you think the experience with SARS that China, Hong Kong, Singapore, and other Asian countries went through, how do you think that affected, that experience affected how
1: those in East Asia reacted to the COVID pandemic? Hmm. Um, I, I think definitely the experience with SARS means people, uh, when they deal with the current pandemic, they're able to move more quickly and uh, they have all those plans uh, of how they dealt with SARS and they're able to implement them more quickly and the people they are also uh, they they'll be more compliant with uh, with quarantine measures and and with lockdowns because I I, I grew up in Singapore and I, I remember the I I, I remember the, the days of SARS and the and the and the quarantines and the closure of schools but but also I think at the same time it kind of made me a a little numb and you know when i first heard of the pandemic in in like january i i didn't think it was that big a deal because i thought i i had been through sars how bad can this be no i i think i
0: i i can understand someone who also lived through sars um sars was very intense but it went away in in three to four months Whereas obviously with COVID it's been around and will probably stick around for at least a year and a half, um, and but but I guess kind of moving on now from moving on now from from Asia, you then travel to Germany, um, which again you're traveling from you know to two societies in Asia to to Europe, um, so I guess I should ask kind of kind of what was that experience like then going from going from East Asia, going from that environment, and then going to Germany, and then seeing a European society then suddenly try to deal with the pandemic? Mm-hmm.
1: Well, uh, I think at first there was a lot of relief in me, and I, I still didn't think uh, the, the pandemic it will spread uh, to Europe in that way, and it will engulf the world in that way. And the day I left for Germany, the pandemic, the country was still holding soccer matches with tens of thousands of fans and uh, the French president and his wife, they, they, they went to the theater and they were, it was a very normal world when I arrived in Germany and very quickly, everything just kind of, uh, it kind of went dark. And, but I, I, I think the, the, the level of compliance in Germany, it's, it's definitely a lot more than say what, uh, what you see in the U.S., uh, you know, where people rage against the restrictions, and um, I think it's is I don't see that that much of a of a difference between uh, there and and, and say uh, and say Singapore. Hmm.
0: And 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 I do want to get into that that observation later in this interview. Um, but I guess to kind of again get an idea of the timing, because you said you you were there when they were. When you arrived, they were still holding soccer matches, and it very quickly went went downhill from there. How how long in the end were you actually in Germany? Uh,
1: uh, that 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 was a it was a very long time, uh, hmm. way more than uh, than I had planned for because uh, my flight back was canceled three times. That was that was during a time of uh, really uh, intense travel disruptions uh, everywhere. There were, there were stories of people stranded uh, and stuff like that. And I, I think I, I was very lucky. I, um, but uh, yeah, uh, two months, I think that was how long I spent in Germany, but uh, I only planned for one.
0: So at the end of this whole thing, you finally return home. You finally return to Canada. um. Do you think your travels made you more prepared in terms of thinking about the pandemic once you got back home?
1: Uh-huh. Um, not really sure how, how to answer that. I, I don't think, uh, at least thinking wise, uh, uh, my mindset wise, I was uh, I was very unprepared. But definitely, I think for me, uh, when I left Canada, the, there was no pandemic, and so in. I write in the book that in that uh, irrational primal part of the brain, that to me, um, COVID nineteen and the lockdowns, that it's always been a foreign phenomenon. Like when I got back to Canada, uh, it just seemed it seemed very otherworldly. And uh, you know, like on an intellectual level, like I know this is happening, all the dos and don'ts, but it it, it takes a while. It's, it's it's a bit hard to process.
0: Hmm. So. We, we we've talked a lot about about let's say the um the the travelogue part part of the book um i'd like to maybe get into some of your some of your observations and your commentary about how the pandemic has changed the world um and i think i wanted to kind of talk about two things in particular uh first of all i think there's been a lot of commentary usually quite shallow um trying to compare outcomes in asia with outcomes in the west um they'll talk you know these are these stories that talk about things like culture and then governance, or in the case of China, you know, government strength, or like a lot of commentary, much of it probably not delving that deep into the reasons. As someone who saw both societies react like both Asian and Europe and Western societies react to the pandemic, what do you think potentially it explains differences in outcomes?
1: hmm Well, one thing i i I, ta- I write about in the book is that there is that, and as you've mentioned, there's a lot of talk about uh, China's authoritarianism and how because uh, there is so much central control of the government, that uh, over the lives of their people that uh, they it that is the reason they have been able to handle the the pandemic so well. But I, I, I would argue that is also the reason that we, we have the pandemic right now. And and this is what the, the Chinese government itself says as well, that uh, in the beginning, local officials in Wuhan, they tried to cover up the matter. And, and you know, why did they cover it up? It's because China is a place that deals with corruption really harshly. If, uh, if you are an a local official and you screw up the the consequences can be huge uh, people get put to death for corruption and i'm I'm not saying that local officials would be put to death but uh, the death penalty for, for non-violent crime for corruption it's uh it, it's a thing and that is also not a place where you can expect a uh a, an open trial or a, a fair day in court and, and and clearly the the local officials they were more afraid of the wrath of their bosses than the, than the plague. And, and that cost the world dearly because uh, research shows that if China had acted, acted quickly right from the start, and they did act quickly eventually, but if they had done it right from the start, they would have prevented 95% uh, of, of uh, the eventual infections. So I, I think this is definitely a conversation uh, that, that, that needs to go deeper than just uh, the, these governance models. You
0: speaking on the topic of governance, you you note the expansion of state power over the past year as a, as it, as governments imposed public health measures to control the pandemic.' Um, we're, again, we're talking travel restrictions, quarantine requirements, um, track and trace, uh, also, I think you note uh, very, very strong government assistance programs. Uh, expansion of unemployment insurance, expansion of direct basic income um business assistance, all this stuff so 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 the the size of the government has expanded a lot over the past year to confront the pandemic and its consequences. I guess what's your understanding of where this expansion of, of I, I sorry what's your understanding of this expansion of state power? Um, and which of these changes do you think will, will remain permanent after the pandemic,
1: and which might recede? Mm-hmm. Well, so I, I think to to talk about that, I think we need to delve into history a little, and I think uh, I write this in the book. One of the the most interesting things, to, to me at least, is how, how much of our current world is shaped by past pandemics. Um, medieval governments, for example, they didn't really have a – a big role in their people's lives. They collected taxes, and if they went to war, they conscripted the men. But, but that's about it. It, it, is through, it is through dealing with plagues that governments come to enforce their borders, that they started monitoring their people's health. And it is also the people who have come to believe in the idea that the state has a responsibility to, to protect them so cholera and typhoid uh, in the in the 19th century they, they sparked the sort of urban planning we know today and uh, classical liberalism was born in the 17th century during the plague of london so and our, our systems of government and way of life we we kind of owe that to the plague and so uh, the the fact that government is expanding now amid the plague i, I don't think that's anything new and and I think definitely this idea that, at least in, in societies that are already leaning that way, that uh, the government has a, there is a bigger role that the government needs to play in the people's lives. Uh, you know, in the US, uh, this pandemic has, it's been, a, uh, it's it, it shone, it, 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 it shined a, a, a harsh spotlight on the fact that they, they still lack proper public health care. And and I I think in in Western democracies we, we will see a shift toward uh to, toward bigger government of some sort. But of course this also goes both ways. Uh, there are, I I think in countries that lean um in other directions we will also see bigger authoritarian creep. And I think these are these are changes that will endure.
0: Hmm. So I, I'd like to shift now to to ask you about the actual process of writing this book, um, I think I can probably guess that you were able to, to write this book very quickly. It's obviously um, a very timely book. Uh, so I guess kind of what was the process of writing this book like? Did you did you take notes throughout your journey? And then how were you able to, to convert um, your experiences into a book so quickly?
1: Mm-hmm. So I... When I was in China, I already wrote one magazine article about that whole experience in China. So I, I did start writing about it uh, quite quite early, and and I think writing is something that comes naturally to me. Um, you know, when people ask me why did I choose to become a journalist, I say I'm I, I'm no good at anything else. This is the one thing I can do. So um, and writing is also a way for me to to deal with things like. You know that, uh, I don't know if you, if you read Harry Potter, uh, they have this device there called a pensieve. So you, you take a thought out of your head and you put it in and it helps clear your head and you feel better after you do that. And for me, the, that is the writing process. So um, I don't really find it a chore. I don't, I don't really view it as work. So, and I guess, the, yeah, the, that's why I was able to, uh, to cobble this together so quickly.
0: Um I'm I'm trying to get a to get a sense of the sense of the timeline. So so when do you actually return to Canada?
1: That was in the beginning of May. So beginning it's of well,
0: may. yep. So so since 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 you since you put your thoughts on paper and, and wrote the book, um have your has your understanding of the pandemic changed? I guess actually may maybe it makes a two part question have your views of the pandemic changed since you started writing the book and then have your views changed since the book was published?
1: Uh-huh. So I would, I, I, I would say not, not at all. And I, I think this book is, uh, it, it was written qu- quite a while ago, but, uh, you know, aside from the statistics, nothing about it is old. And the, the I think there was a time when I did have some doubt when in the summer it it looked like things were getting better and, and I I thought, you know, if, uh, you know, if this pandemic turns out just to be a a passing thing that we will not long remember, you know, uh, if, if if that is so, I'd be very happy that I turned out to be wrong, but, uh. As you can see now, the second wave came back. So, yeah, I uh, I stand by everything in the book. Well, and, and and unfortunately now I think even even
0: places that 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 were quite successful in in, in the first wave are now struggling in the second wave. You know, South Korea, Japan um, are all fighting resurgent waves of the virus. Um, even so, even countries that 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 did very well are now struggling too. Um, yeah but i did but i but i did have one more question you know you've you obviously you've written this book you know in the midst of the pandemic based on things that you saw very early on um and you know the the first three four five months of the outbreak and how it spread around the world i think we can probably expect that there will be very 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 many books written about COVID 19 um Many of these books will view the pandemic from a perspective months, if not years afterwards, um, which also means that they're going to bring their understanding of the pandemic you know, from that future point and look backwards. But given that you wrote a book right as the pandemic was beginning and right in its early stages, what are some things that future writers about COVID-19 should not forget and should not overlook when they are writing their long histories of COVID and how it transformed the world, et cetera, et cetera, three, four five years from now?
1: Hmm. Well, that is a great question. I, I think what they should not overlook is that there was in fact uh, a before time. And because I, I think humans are, are very good at adapting and we live in this situation for so long, we think this is the default and we think the... The, we think there is nothing before this and we think the knowledge that we have right now is, um, is the sort of knowledge that we should have. It's, it's God given knowledge, but uh, we, we shouldn't forget that when the pandemic erupted, we, we didn't know any of this and our leaders were making decisions under, under a tight timeline uh, under immense pressure and, and, you know, Mistakes were made. Uh, it's inevitable, and one of the books I quote in my book is uh, uh, it's, it's a title by the former U.S. Uh, is a former U.S. general, the former Supreme Commander, uh, Allied Commander in Afghanistan, Stanley McChrystal. And um, in, in his book, he writes that achieving seventy percent today is better than achieving ninety percent tomorrow, and. I think there were colossal failures in how our leaders uh all over the world dealt with the pandemic, but sometimes we 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 have to think that, you know, they didn't achieve a hundred percent, but uh the alternative isn't doing everything perfectly. Uh that, that was not within their reach. The alternative is uh even worse screw-ups.
0: So my final question about about the book. Well, it's not really about the book, but um, I guess, a, I guess, a, hopefully, a fun and positive question to to end our discussion. Given that you wrote a travelogue, um, I have to ask: When borders open up again, where will you go first?
1: Hmm. Well, I, I really hate, to, uh, you know, count my chickens before they hatch. Uh, I, it's. Probably somewhere in Europe, probably back to Germany, but I don't think that will happen for a really long time. And because I, I had travel plans for this year, but I I don't think I'll be going out of the country at all. And, you know, recently all, all these countries, uh, at least Canada and the US, they came up with rules that you have to get a positive test, sorry, a negative test before you, you enter the country. So, uh, if I were to go to the U.S. now, I have to get tested to go to the U.S. I have to get tested when I come back. And uh, have you ever had a test before?
0: I fortunately, I've never had to had to have a test.
1: Um. Yeah, I, I heard it's horrible. You know, they, they they shove the stick all the way to the back of your brain. And if I can avoid getting a test, uh, I I would avoid getting a test. So I I don't think I'm going to be traveling for a long time.
0: Um although this 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 does bring up an additional thought um which is how 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 odd is it that 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 travel has completely stopped um I, I know international travel is still in some respects um you know the 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 purview of 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 the somewhat privileged but um but thinking but thinking through kind of my travel history for example um I have not left Hong Kong since since a business trip in March, and even that was cutting it pretty close. Um, I have not been back in the United States since May of last year, which is the longest I've ever gone without going back to the United States. Um, so I guess my question, I guess, before we really wrap up the interview is, how 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 strange is this period of, of this complete collapse in international travel?
1: Oh, it's definitely very strange to me because um, you know, I, I've grown up all around the world, and uh, my friends and family and my ties, the, they're, all, they're all spread out across the world, and um, I, I don't think I'll, I'll be seeing my parents, for example, for, 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 for a really long time, and many friends I, I won't be able to see for, for even longer, so it, it definitely hits me in a, in a certain way.
0: So with that, I think that ends our interview with Ethan Lowe, author of Field Notes from a Pandemic, A Journey Through a World Suspended. Um, one actual final question for you, Ethan. Um, where can people find your work? And uh, also, what's next for you? And maybe this is a good opportunity for you to talk a bit about your next book, um, Once a Bitcoin Miner, which is which is mentioned in, your, in, in, the, in the bio you shared with me earlier.
1: Uh yeah to to find my work I think I'm I'm very easy to find just uh, google me. Uh last name is spelled L O U and I think I'm the I'm the one person in the world with this name. And uh the, the next book uh, I'm I'm actually going through it right now just fact checking it uh crossing the i's and dotting the t's. It's uh it's a narrative non-fiction uh about uh, uh adve- my adventures in the bitcoin world and uh the scandal and turmoil that that I encounter. And it's, uh, it's the sort of nonfiction that's made to read, made to read like a novel. So I'm, I'm very excited about it. And it's coming out um, September this year. Well, I look forward to, to hearing more about it. Um...
0: You can follow me, Nicholas Gordon, on Twitter at Nick R.I. Gordon. That's N I C K R I G O R D O N. You can go to AsianReviewOfBooks.com to find other reviews, essays, interviews, and excerpts. Follow on Facebook or on Twitter at Book Reviews Asia. That's reviews plural. And you can find countless other author interviews at the New Books Network at NewBooksNetwork.com. We hope you subscribe and continue listening to the Asian Review of Books podcast, now found on all your favorite podcast apps. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Rate us, recommend us, and share us with your friends if you want to support us getting to interview those writing in, around, and about Asia. Ethan Lowe, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure.
1: Thank you for having me.